Well, grab your Bibles and open those up to the book of Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We are in the sermon series, Back to School, discovering the teachings of Jesus Christ. As much as we love the power and the, the amazing miracles and all the things that Jesus does, what he says is even more important. And that's sort of what we're getting at in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5 through 7. So if you've been following along as you're reading through Matthew chapter 5 and you're going like, ooh, how's he going to touch this one? Ooh, what's he going to say when he gets to that scripture? Trust me, I've been praying the same thing and asking God the same thing. And uh, because it's, it's incredible what, you know, Jesus starts off saying, hey, the kingdom of heaven is like this. You, God's people, part of the kingdom, you're kingdom people. What do kingdom people look like? Well, blessed are you, you are poor in spirit, and you are peacemakers, and you're, you're persecuted. Blessed are you. And by the way, you're salt and light. And it's like he encourages us saying, this is who you are. And then he's like, now let's get into some things that you've maybe been misinterpreted. Things that you've heard these scribes and these Pharisees come across and say one thing. You've heard this said, but this is what I'm saying. And he starts getting into this. You're like, ooh, wow, ooh, somebody just stepped on my toe. Um, well, I didn't expect you to say that, Jesus, right? But it's so good, as he said, this was, this was man's goodness. This is God's goodness. This is man's law. This is God's law. And I want you to know the intent and, and not just the actions you're seeing, but I want you to get this, and sometimes it's hard. I, I heard a story about a little, a little boy. His name is Tommy. Uh, the sermon was over. Church was over. Everybody's going out, and little Tommy's, like, grabbing his mom. and said, I, I got to go talk to the pastor. And they're like, why do you need to talk to the pastor? Goes, I just I need to talk to him about what he said today. Okay, so off Tommy goes to the pastor. The pastor's out in the lobby area talking to people and comes up and tugs on his arm. And, oh, hey, Tommy, what do you need? And he goes, Pastor, today you're talking about Adam, and you said that we all come from dust. Yeah, yes, I, I said that. And he goes, and then you also said that when we die, we return to dust. He goes, well, Tommy, you were listening very well. So how can I help? He goes, Pastor, you need to come over to my house as soon as you can, because underneath my bed, there's a bunch of dust. Either somebody's coming or somebody's going. I'm not sure which one. <laughs> and then, uh, of course, the pastor is, yeah, anyway. That's how I feel sometimes as a pastor. It's like, I see said that, but I'm not sure if that was translated correctly or interpreted right, and we come across that way. So today, I, I'm telling you right now, what I'm scripture-wise, you may hear one thing. I'm praying that God preaches truth to you, okay? And I'm, I'm going to do the best I can in sharing uh, from scripture here. Uh, it may be a little bit confusing, but we pray for God's clarity in all of this. Amen? Amen. Let's look at verse 27, Matthew chapter 5. It starts off by saying this, you've heard this commandment, that says, you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. You've heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she's been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery, and anyone who marries that divorced woman also commits adultery. Here we have one section, three sort of significantly different scriptures, but yet they're sort of tied to one another. 
So I'm going to try to do my best I can to help you understand the first section. The middle section gets a little rough, but it's going to be the tie into the third section. We'll bring it all together. So let's go back to that first one. Look at verse 27. You've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in her heart. Now, in that scripture, Jesus begins by drawing attention to what the, obviously the religious leaders have been saying all along. Everybody knew it about what it meant to commit adultery. It's, it's true. You shouldn't commit adultery. If you are married, you have one spouse. You have one person that you should be intimate with. That's your physical relationship with. No other persons. Outside of that, that would be committing adultery. It's pretty wrong. Adultery is wrong. Period, right? But the religious leaders here applied that law only to action. Jesus, again, he's focusing on the heart, similar to what we talked about last week. Jesus is teaching with authority, not opinion. He begins to explain and says, it's possible to commit adultery with your heart and your mind. And Jesus is considering this heart and mind action, similar to what we talked about last week with anger and murder. It's important to understand here what Jesus is not saying as well. Jesus is, is not saying that the act of adultery physically and the act of adultery to heart and mind are the same thing. He's not saying they're the same thing. Many people have been deceived on this and they say, well, I've already committed adultery in my mind, so I might as well just go ahead and do it in action as well. No, no, no. Jesus' point is not to say they're the same, but that they're both sin and they're both prohibited by the command against adultery, but they're not the exact same thing. Some people may say, well, um, I've never been caught physically doing it, so it's okay if I'm mentally doing it. And Jesus is like saying, no, that's wrong. That's wrong. It's good that they're not actually going on doing it, but yet the same thing, God's, or Jesus is saying, but if you're doing it in your mind and heart, that's just as bad. They're both sinful. Now, notice the next, some of the words in the scripture that said, anyone who looks upon a woman, looks at a woman. So Jesus is like, I want you to help you understand where the origin of lust begins. Job chapter 31 helps us with this. As much as I've read throughout the Bible and I've read Job, this is a portion of Scripture like, have I not read this before? Do you ever have one of those moments? Like, I know I've read this before, but, but after I'm studying this, it sort of popped out. Job chapter 31 said this. Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman. For what has God above chosen for us? What is our inheritance from the Almighty on high? Isn't it calamity for the wicked and misfortune for those who do evil? Doesn't he see everything I do and every step I take? Have I lied to anyone or deceived anyone? And he goes on to say in verse 6, Let God weigh me on the scales of justice, for he knows my integrity. If I've strayed from his pathway or if my heart is lusted for what my eyes have seen or if I'm guilty of another sin, then let someone else eat the crops that I've planted. And then verse 1 says, For lust is a shameful sin, a crime that should be punished. Job basically says, listen, I want you to understand the seriousness of lust. I want you to understand the origin of lust. He, said the, he says it's the eyes. I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look at lust or look with lust at a young woman. The gateway for lust is primarily the eyes. Now, unfortunately, we are living in a modern society today uh, with technology and so forth that our eyes have to deal with this every single day and quite often, way too often. 
Pornography, as we know, is a billion-dollar business. You could, you could spend a sermon, you can write books on, on, on how uh, gross and how uh, industrious this, this business is and how it infiltrates all areas of society. I mean, it used to be a store on the country, right? Or it used to be the video store in the back room where, you know, you go find those videos or whatever. And now, now it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Church, it's in your pocket. <laughs> it is. There are apps on your phone that don't take long for you to see things you should not see. Parents, your kids have it. Oh, not my kid, your kid, my kid. You. This is a gateway right here. When used improperly, it will bring up things before your eyes that you should not see. There are certain reasons why I do not have certain apps. Don't want them. I don't want the temptation. Don't need the temptation. We know this. God addresses it. And this is not only applies to the flesh, but anything that we covet with our eyes. It could be riches. It could be position. It could be material things. Anything that we desire and pursue after that comes between us and God needs to be addressed. And so Jesus, he considers adultery in the heart as a sin as well. We know, you know, what we think about, what we allow our heart to focus on is our choice. It's our responsibility. Sin is a choice. Somebody else may put the temptation in front of you, but you and I have that choice to give in to that temptation. Somebody may put an image in front of you, but you and I have the choice to look at that image or not. Ultimately, we choose to commit sin. And it's true, you know, it's like, well, it... How do I deal with passing thoughts or passing emotions or passing feelings? I mean, sometimes they just, they just come right in, right? Listen, we may not be able to control what pops up in our thoughts or pops up on the TV, but we can control what we do with it. What I mean by that is you can decide whether or not you're going to let your mind and heart rest on that thought or whether you're going to pray for God to help you dismiss it. You can let your mind rest and your eyes rest on that image or you can choose to look away. I always tell young men, and, and not just young men, but men my age as well, it's like, listen, that first look, sometimes you just can't do anything about that first look. Like, boom, oh, so I didn't want to see that. Okay, but here's the thing. Now you have a choice on the second look. And it's the second look is where we get in trouble. And the third look. And the lingering thought. And it just sort of becomes bigger and bigger. We have a responsibility and a choice to, to what rests in our mind and heart. I heard one phrase that is like this. You can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest on top. True? Think about that. And here's the thing about our imagination. Imagination is a God-given gift. Nothing else in creation has imagination like mankind does. Isn't that a beautiful thing? We can art and music, and there's so much that our imagination we can do. But unchecked, our imagination can go in places it should not go. We're supposed to place our mind upon things that lead to positive action. A lot of times I talk to teams about this, and it's like, where's your mindset? Where's your focus, right? Colossians chapter 3, Paul said this, Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Look at this. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Look at verse 2. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. That's a hard command, isn't it? But remember... 
Jesus did this. Jesus is like, he endured all kinds of temptation. Hebrews 4, uh, verse 12 says that he faced all the same things we did, yet he did so and did not sin. Christ faced temptation as well, but he did not give in to sin. And Christ, who lives in you, can help you do the same thing. We've been, uh, this past Wednesday night, we kicked off a high school youth group. And one of the first things we talked about is just our identity in Christ. You need to know who you are. As a Christian, we start off with Galatians 2.20, and it's a verse we're challenging them to memorize. We're going to probably talk about it in a week and another week uh, until we get this down. But here's the verse. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And I want you to think what it, understand what it means to be crucified. It's a horrible, horrific uh, torture that was brought upon mankind by the Romans, right? And there, there's basically was, we're going to kill you, but it's going to take a long time to kill you, and it's going to be ruthless, right? And they did that to Jesus Christ. But when Jesus Christ was crucified, he died. It says, my old self, look at the verse, my old self has been crucified with Christ. My sin, when Jesus was buried, he took sin and death with him to the tomb, my old self, my sins have been buried with Jesus. It goes on to say, but it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives me. When Jesus resurrected from the dead, he left sin and death in the tomb. And he came busting out victorious. That's the Christ who lives in you. Our old self, our old nature, our sinful ways, buried, dead, gone, forgiven. Some of these things that I'm going to be talking about here, some of us may be sitting here today saying, I'm, a, I'm feeling a little guilty. I'm feeling a little shameful because I struggle with this. I struggle with that. And Rex, I know what you're saying. God's word says, and, I'm, and I've, I've dealt with that or I am dealing with that. And you might feel a little shameful. Praise God for Romans 8.1. Therefore, my brothers, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you've asked for forgiveness, God's forgiven you. You are no longer condemned. Sin and death is is in a tomb. Would you please leave it there? A lot of us like to sort of keep one foot in the coffin and one foot out like, yeah, I'm still dealing with it. And it's, geez, like, would you just get out of there? I'm out of there. My old self has been crucified. Romans 6, 5 to 6 says, since we've been united with him in death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We're no longer slaves to sin. You don't, have to, you don't have to entertain that thought. You don't have to be flirtatious with that person that you're trying to be flirtatious with. You don't have to mess around with that person that you want to mess around with because the power of sin no longer reigns in you. Christ reigns in you. You have the power to say no. You have the power to set your mind in the right direction. We don't have to keep making bad choices or do things that rebel against the holy God because we have a new power within us. We've been transformed from the inside out. So Jesus says, I want your minds, I want your hearts to be in the right direction. And I want that to be just as honorable as your actions. That's what the Pharisees thought. You've heard it said, this is don't commit adultery. I'm saying this, he goes, I want these to match up. We get to the second part of the message. Look back at Matthew chapter five, verse 29. Here's the second part. He says this. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, 
cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, church, listen, this is a figure of speech, okay? I mean, this could really freak somebody out if you walked into church for the first time and the pastor gets up front and says, start gouging out, out start cutting out. Men in the, with the machete will be in the back if you want to see them afterwards. And you're thinking, what did I walk into, right? But some people have, some people have actually literally thought this is literal translation. Uh, a famous Christian whose name is Origen, he actually uh, castrated himself thinking that this is what this was all about. And it's like, that's not what this is all about. How do we know this is not a literal translation? First of all, here's the problem with the literal translation is this. It doesn't work. Even if I cut off my left hand because it sins, guess what? I still got a right hand that can sin. And I'll probably have to cut that off too, right? And I got a left eye, you gouge that out because I'm, I'm looking at the wrong thing. You're probably going to have to gouge out my right eye because my right eye is still going to be looking. And now here's the thing. I'm going to be, this place is going to look like an amputee hospital. I mean, there's going to be handicap all over the place, right? And, and here's, my mind can still go places it shouldn't go. So what are you going to do now? Take that out too. I'm gone. You see, it, it doesn't work. When, when, you, when all is gone, it's like you can still sin. Self-mutilation doesn't end sin. But Jesus is simply stressing here. He goes, I'm going to get strong with you all on this because you've got to get strong with sin. And so he like bears down. And he goes, it's going to take sacrifice. What, I'm, what Jesus is trying to say is, if you've got an area in your life that you need to get rid of, do all that you can to get rid of it because it will spread throughout the rest of you. That's the one thing, you know, sometimes we struggle with. We're trapped in sin. And it's like, I, I got this one area in my life. I just, I, I'm, I'm, I'm wishing my best to get rid of. And it's like, wishing your best, don't get rid of it. It won't work. To give it up, there has to be sacrifice. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. And then we get to the third section of this scripture. And he says this, you've heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife unless she's been unfaithful causes her to commit adultery. Anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. Now in Jesus' day, what was happening, people were taking this portion of scripture that actually came from Deuteronomy chapter 24. So what did Moses have to say about all this? Well, here's what we think Moses said, and they would misinterpret it. According to Deuteronomy 24, there was a reason given for divorce because all these people were whining, oh, I don't like her, and, and I don't like what's going on with my spouse, and so I need a reason. And so finally, it's like, here's your reason for divorce, unfaithfulness or uncleanliness. We'll get to that later. But what was happening here, by the time it gets to these, these scribes and these Pharisees, these religious leaders, they're like, oh, here's, here's how we're going to translate it. There's a couple schools of thought. One school of thought was, anything my spouse does that is sexually immoral, sexually wrong, I have reason to divorce her. That's one school of thought. Here's another school of thought. Anything my spouse does to displease me, she snores when she sleeps. She, she, she leaves a mess at the kitchen table. She burned my breakfast, okay? I can divorce her. Those are two schools of thought. Now, let me ask you, which school of thought do you think was more popular in this time of Jesus? The second one, right? They're like, eh, we like the newer translation because I, I don't like what she's doing over here. So all these religious leaders are like, and yep, we can, we can roll with that. So people were just divorcing all over the place because, hey, Oh, here's the second thing that doesn't help. Ladies, I'm so sorry, but back in these times, women were considered like property, second, second hand. I mean, you were just not as valuable as men. 
That's the way the culture was. Therefore, with that, along with the school of thought of divorce, what does it matter if we divorce a woman? I don't like the way she looks. I like how she looks. I want to divorce you. Can I get that written certificate? Signed, thank you. Hey, you. That's how easy it was. I probably made it a little bit easier, but that's basically the way it worked. Jesus says, listen, that's not the way it works. You've heard it said, here's what I'm going to say. And then he also went on to say um, that a man who divorces his wife, unless she's been unfaithful, and it's like, what does he mean by unfaithful? Was that the cheating part? Basically, it came to kind of any kind of sexual immorality. The Greek word was pornea. Sounds familiar, like pornography, right? But it had to deal with any kind of uh, sexual immorality. Matter of fact, you'd have heard this if you grew up in a Baptist church or you read from the King James. The word is fornication. It's like, forno what? Okay? And it's like, that's, what is that? It's basically any kind of sexual immorality outside of marriage. Anything outside of marriage. And nobody talks about it today. Why? Because we know we're going to step on somebody's toes because that's the way the culture is today. It's all accepted. And God said, it's not. But we don't want to talk about it because we don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. But Jesus says, I'm sorry if your feelings are hurt, but your soul matters to me more than your feelings do. And I want you to know what God's word has to say. And there's much that can be said and studied about this scripture, but what we need to know here is Jesus is focusing on the permanency of marriage. He, he created this in Genesis. When he created male and female, he said they will leave their parents and become one, male and female. Book of Genesis, that's where marriage begins. And there's to be a permanency to this. That's what God intended. But we know how sin disrupts and destroys marital relationships and any kind of relationship, really, right? But we also, as we read through the Old Testament, marriage reflects our relationship with God. You'll see the, the ties in the Old Testament where God's people and God was like husband and wife and he wanted to protect that relationship with the nation. And, and then we get to the New Testament and, and talk about Jesus. And, and, and then we talk about the bride, the church, you know. And it's like, again, a picture of marriage for eternity. So when somebody stands before me as a pastor and I do a marriage ceremony with them, I'm sitting there going, this is beautiful because it reflects our relationship with God. Till death do us part is the way it's supposed to be but we live in a world that's just has fallen apart in this area and it's been de-emphasized. It's like, it doesn't matter. And God's saying, it does matter. And Jesus says, I'm, that's why I'm talking about the, the purity within a marital relationship, the purity before you get married, and then the permanency of marriage. And right in between, he's got this seriousness about sin. If anything's going to come between you and another person, your spouse, and, and you and your relationship with God, you better cut it out. And, and that's when I'm looking at these, these passages, looking at this the relationship, I'm just sitting there saying, he's serious about our relationship with him and with each other. If we love each other, we're going to do all we can to keep anything from coming between us. That's the way it should work in a marital relationship. And it should work the same way with our relationship with God. If something's going to come between us and God, we need to make sure we get in there and get it out. Uh, David Guzik, he's a, a pastor and a commentary writer. And, and I was looking at one of his notes on this and, and he, he had an interesting take on it. He said this. He was talking to somebody about giving their life to Jesus. 
He sat down with them and he, he was saying, this is what it means to give your life to Jesus, to place your faith in Jesus, to, to say, I'm sorry for the sins that I have committed in my life and, and you've come to save me and I, wanna, I want you to save me and be my Savior, but I want you to be my Lord. And he's, he's sharing this all with this person. And, um, and the, 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 he said, the gentleman that he was talking to said, he seemed to be pretty responsive. And he's like, you know what? I, I think I want this. But then he asked the question, he goes this, he goes, but can I still drink a beer if I'm a Christian? And Pastor David said, back, goes, well, on the one hand, um, I sit there and say, well, of course you can, because there's nothing in the Bible that says you can't drink a beer. But it is pretty clear in the Bible that says you shouldn't get drunk. And it also says you shouldn't be a stumbling block. So you probably shouldn't. But yeah, you, you can. And then he goes, but wait a second. As he's thinking this all, he goes, wait a second, wait a second. Is this all that matters in coming to know Jesus? I mean, if we're talking eternal destination, and if you're saying, well, can I do, still have a beer? Or can I, can I still do this with my life? You're saying you're going to let that one area keep you from eternity with Jesus? There's an issue there. We should be willing to say, if I have to cut off this, if I have to cut off that, I would do all I can to get to Jesus. A lot of times what we do with sin is we say, how far till I cross the line? How close can I get to sinning before I've crossed the line with Jesus? You know, we, and what do we do? Right there, that's the line, that's the line. What do we do? We edge right up to it, and sometimes we sort of lean over just a little bit. If eternity really matters, if our relationship with Jesus Christ matters, here's what happened. There's the line, okay? There's the line. And I'm just going to keep going back because I know if I get too close, I am foolish enough that I will probably stumble across it. And that's what he's getting at here in this passage. You know, on Wednesday night, we asked the students this past Wednesday, and I only bring this example up again because I want the rest of the church to hear it. But here's the example we used with the kids on Wednesday night. This is what we said. So if you can imagine, for those of you that have to have people come over to your house, and maybe you said, come on in, make yourself at home. Some of you are like that, right? You're like, come on in, make yourself at home. Make yourself at home. Just help yourself, you know. Do you really mean that? I mean, you know, we sound so good when we say that, don't we? Like, hey, come on and make yourself to home. But in the back of our mind, we're saying, but don't go in my bathroom, the master bathroom, because that's my bathroom. And, and don't go into my bedroom, and please do not go into my closet. Do not open up the drawers in my, in my bedroom. And uh, please don't go in my office either and look through my files. And if you could, don't go in the basement, because it's, 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 a, it's a clutter right now. It's, it's messy. And make yourself to home, but don't look too close, because I didn't dust, and there's some cobwebs up high in the ceiling corners. But make yourself to home. But please don't go use the fridge out in the, in the garage. I'd prefer you not to go into that fridge. And, and, but make yourself to home. Doesn't sound like make yourself to home, does it? But we have such good intentions, Right? But then we do the same thing with Jesus. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I know I'm a sinner. I know I've messed up. Come into my life. Make yourself dull. Just don't go, um, don't go into that one part of my brain, though, because my thought life isn't completely cleaned up yet. So, but, but Jesus, come into my heart. Come make yourself home. Please don't, don't go up near my, my tongue and my mouth because there's a lot of things I still say. And, and uh, yeah. Uh, and, and don't go out to my hands there because sometimes I still get angry. And, and, uh, but make yourself to home, Jesus. Matter of fact, if you could just make yourself to home in this one little small part right here, that would be awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for coming into my heart.
that, that little square inch part right there. Thank you. Isn't that what we do? And Jesus is just waiting to hear from us saying, listen, your relationships and marriage, your relationships with one another, purity and marriage, that all matters to me. And, and, and but here's the thing. I want all of you. I want all of you. So if you don't mind, if you're going to ask me to come into your heart, I want all of your heart and your arms and your legs and your thoughts and your ears, your mouth. I want all of you. That way I can properly work through you and live through you. Your old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who lives or I who lives, but Christ who lives in us. Worship team, would you come forward, please? I want to encourage you, church. Ask Jesus to come in and clean house. He gets serious about these subjects. Like I said, there's so much that could be said about what I shared today. There's, there's more than me going in that direction. When I step back and look at this, Jesus says, listen, you've heard it said. Here's what I'm saying. I, I, want, to, I want all of you, your relationships between you and your spouse, people that you're close with, people that you're dating, people that you know, your relationships, your marriage. I want purity there in your heart and your soul. I want a strong relationship, but I want the same thing with you and I. That's what Jesus wants. Would you stand, please? You know, I, I was thinking about what are some proper things we could do to maybe put this into application. And my first thought was, I heard a sermon um, and it was, the same, it was the same message every year as at college. And our campus chaplain, he, he preached the same message every spring. And I was thinking because, you know, the guys and girls are dating, so it's like, I better give the old talk to the whole campus, right? And so he went to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. It says, run from anything that stimulates lust in your life. And it's like, run. And it's like, he would always say, I'm, I'm imagining that when I get done preaching this, some of you, if I walk outside and I see some of you running, I know what you're dealing with. And I'm sitting there thinking, if that's what we did every time we were, we were dealing with temptation up here, we would look like a marathon world, wouldn't we? We'd have cross-country runners everywhere because people would be running like, it's like, okay, maybe that's not the application. Maybe that's not. And then I thought of another young man who came to me one time and, and he said, I'm dealing with this issue of looking at things I shouldn't be looking at. I, I won't go on my computer because I, I feel like I'm going to get easily tracked there and I don't want to get to work and... And I don't use my phone because, again, I just, I want, so I've got an iPad and I will go on my iPad and that's, that's where I look at my things I look at. And sharing this with me and it's like, and what are you doing about this, you know? And, and he, goes, he goes, here's what I did. He goes, I got to the point where it's like, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I feel like I, every day I'm coming to the Lord asking for forgiveness. And I finally took that iPad and I went into the, the shop and I found a hammer and I took a hammer to my iPad and just crashed and smashed my iPad and, and threw it in the trash. I said, done with sin. And he was pretty excited about it. It's like, that's excellent. But then he came to me later and said, I still sort of struggle with it. Oh, he got rid of a vice that was, and that's one thing we got to do. We're do that's, what, that's what we're talking about, cutting off the end. Right? That's going extreme. We need to do those kind of things. But the next thing he needed to do was get on his knees and say, Jesus, come in and clean house. I'm doing what I can out here, and, and, but I need you to do something in here. So this morning as I pray, maybe you need to do the same thing. A certain area of your life, I don't know what it is. But maybe there's a certain area of your life you've asked Jesus to come in and be a part of, but you sort of blocked off that area. Maybe we need to deal with that this morning. So as we pray, 
you make it personal with him. Would you please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for being an awesome and mighty God. I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, even for scriptures like this that we look at and it's like, I want to know what you're, what you're saying here. And, I, and Lord, I pray as, as, as we shared this morning, I, this, is, this is the truth that we need to know is that how valuable relationships are and, and how you want purity in these relationships and how we need to be careful of how sin can destroy our relationships with those we love. And God, there are sins in our life that can really hamper not only our relationship with the people around us, but our relationship with you. God, what is it in our life that we need to cut out, that we need to get rid of, that we need to sacrifice and say, God, take it from my life, please. Come into my heart, all of my heart, all of my life. Clean me up. Forgive me, Lord. And God, I thank you for your word. He says, if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you, God, for your forgiveness. I thank you for Romans 8.1, that we know there is no condemnation. There is no feeling shame because we are in you. Thank you for removing our shame. Thank you for removing our sin. Help us to live victorious for you, for our old self has been crucified and you is now you who lives in us. Thank you, Jesus, for living in us. Help us to live in a righteous way that honors you. We love you, Lord. In thy name we pray, amen.